Welcome to the Nirvana Principles Show. I'm your host, Dr. Hassan Malik. I'm a trainee psychiatrist and electronic musician based in Northwest England. I'm passionate about making mental health concepts more accessible to the public, create conversations around psychology, and change perspectives on topics ranging from philosophy to psychedelics, aging to motherhood. I have the privilege of hosting this space on the first Wednesday of every month from 5 to 6 p.m. on Melodic Distraction Radio. Every episode has a featured guest to share their views, opinions, and expertise with us. Our guest for today is Dr. Misha Mockett. He's a consultant psychiatrist in child and adolescent mental health services. He spends his time working with the intellectual disability population and he is also the training program director for the Northwest for the NHS. Welcome, Dr. Mockett. Hi, Hassan. So um, thank you so much for taking your time out today. I was hoping that we can talk about autism and how different disorders develop and how it changes the brain. Also a little bit about how autism is in the current society, both locally for us in the UK as well as globally. And lastly, what you can tell individuals who do have a loved one or they care for someone with autism or who might feel they have autism themselves, how they can approach services and what they can do to help someone. Yes, no problem. I think that's uh, really important and something really important in society at the moment, particularly recently with the effects of COVID and what's going on in mental health. Stay tuned and we'll be right back after our first song. Dad reads aloud. I follow his finger across the page. Sometimes his finger moves past words, tracing white space. He makes the moon say something new every night to his deaf son who slurs his speech. Sometimes his finger moves past words, tracing white space. Tonight he gives the moon my name, but I can't say it. His deaf son who slurs his speech. Dad taps the page, says, try again. Tonight it gives the moon my name, but I can't say it. I say, Raynan Akabok. He laughs. Dad taps the page, says, try again. But I like making him laugh. I say my mistake again. I say, Raynan Akabok. He laughs, says, Raymond, you're something else. I like making him laugh. I say my mistake again. Raynan Akabok. What else will help us? He says, Raymond, you're something else. I'd like to be the moon, the bear, even the rain. Raynan Akabok. What else will help us hear each other? Really hear each other. I'd like to be the moon, the bear, even the rain. Dad makes the moon say something new every night and we hear each other, really hear each other. As dad reads aloud, I follow his finger across the page.
stock market the autism has has been something which has been part of society for a while i think around since 1943 when it was first described and the vernacular has changed it's gone from autism aspergers autism spectrum disorder can you explain what is the current understanding and definition of autism Now, I'd like to say, uh, Hassan, yes, so the first formal descriptions of autism started to come out in 19, in the 1940s, but autism as a condition, if you read any historical literature, any books, um, you know, has always been there and has always been, um, you, you know, part of society and has, has always been a condition. Um, it has it changed in psychiatric terms and, and diagnostic terms and that that we kind of have this dimensional trait approach to a group of conditions that we call neurodevelopmental conditions and autism spectrum disorder being one of those so you're right that, that you know we started to have these descriptions about people who had difficulties around their social communication and social interaction uh, that, that were um, described in papers and research in the 1940s. Then this kind of took off again in the 1980s where child psychiatrists began to use those descriptions to group together Um, uh, young people with difficulties that are impacting on their life. And, and the importance about this is to understand that these descriptions, conditions, diagnoses are only really relevant if they are impacting on a young person's life and, and then they, they become useful to them. Otherwise, I don't think they're massively relevant, that they're part of a spectrum of disorders uh, for young people that have always existed, always existed in the, in the human population. Um, and, and their relevance is about helping to support young people. So when I talk about neurodevelopmental conditions, talk about um, autism spectrum disorder, talk about learning disability, talk about learning difficulties, talk about uh, communication disorders, talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder that, that fits in this dimensional trait paradigm. Okay. Okay, so uh, you mentioned a few things. Um, yeah. When you said social communication, does that mean something like, for example, if someone cannot physically speak, is it is it difficulty with language? Is it difficulty with understanding the social cues that we have? As you, you talked about, the initial descriptions of, of autism were young people with no effective communication so no effective language no effective um communication in eye contact facial expressions what we would now class predominantly that is learning disability severe learning disability uh, where you have no communication and task wise you find it very difficult to to complete daily living tasks or you can't complete daily living tasks and that's broadened out with with this autism spectrum to include uh, people who whose intellectual functioning we call that so so their understanding and a lot of their tasks would fall pretty much in the normal range or the lower normal range for uh, iq 
um, but have significant difficulties around their social communication, how they talk to people, how they interact with people, uh, with a, a number of other um, symptoms too. So it could be um, rigid, repetitive behaviours, it could be sensory sensitivities, behavioural difficulties as well. So again, it, it, it's this spectrum that begins to impact on you. I mean, autism, even for me as a psych trainee, sometimes gets a bit confusing. Can you can you tell me what exactly someone with autism suffers from? What What is the world like for them? How would they interact? How would I know someone has autism? What would they present as? So, I mean, what the things you're looking for, if you're looking whether someone's on the autism spectrum, you're mainly looking for difficulties around social communication and social interaction. Okay, so social communication, what does that mean? That, that's about people who have difficulties interpreting both verbal and non-verbal language, so understanding gestures, understanding tone of voice, and then that may be uh, reciprocal, so they have difficulties again with their gestures and their tone of voice uh, and what, what they're doing. So, and other factors of that could be that they take things very literally, they don't understand, they're not clear understanding abstract concepts. Yeah, so if I say that's cool, it's like, no, it's actually hot today. Yeah, so they can be very, very literal, you know, things like that. And, and you know, particularly within English, we've got lots of those things, you know, such as it's raining cats and dogs, which means it, it, it's raining, it's raining very hard. But, you know, to an autistic spectrum person, they may look up in the sky and think, well, there are no cats and dogs coming down it's just raining so things like that processing information so having difficulty uh, or being a bit slow in, in processing information verbal information that's being given to them answering questions they may be quite repetitive in their language and we call this echolalia so repeating phrases stop phrases stop responses you know what what we'll often see with children and young people is is repeating lines from tv shows and 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 that kind of thing so that's social communication now, um, social interaction is about, you know, how you interact with another person, recognizing and understanding their feelings, recognizing their, um, you know, intentions. So social interaction, you know, we don't generally we're not taught social interaction we just pick up on that and it's an innate thing so you know how close you are to somebody how you use facial expression when you offer somebody comfort and support um all of those kind of things now people on the autism spectrum can have difficulties around those so you know forming friendships supporting comforting others seeking support and comfort themselves and not clearly understanding their own um, social and emotional needs they can have difficulties around that so empathy is a challenge empathy can be a challenge now remember Every person on the autism spectrum is different. Every person on the autism spectrum doesn't necessarily have all of these. So if you say, oh, well, you know, I, I can do this, but other factors, so I can't be on, that's not true. You know, every individual, it's, it's the amount that this is beginning to affect, um, affect your, your, your living and, and daily living skills. Additionally to that is this restricted, repetitive 
pattern of behaviours. So this can go, again, is a broad spectrum. So you can go to doing things again and again and again. So people on the autism spectrum will continue to enjoy things like flicking a light switch or doing a certain movement or, or flapping your hands, repetitive, comforting um, action. Developmentally, children go through that and go through that process, but generally that, that developmental phase moves on, but people on the autism spectrum um, can continue with that. And this can then follow into play. So play can be very restricted and repetitive. So lining up cars, lining up toys, ordering them without imaginative play. So they're restricted in the amount of imaginative play and it's repetitive play. Play may be very copied. Play may be very copied from TV shows, cartoons, things like that. And the problem with this is then people can become quite distressed when these things have changed. So if you're in a routine that you have to do of going to school in a certain way every day or getting dressed in a certain way or eating your food in a certain way uh, and then you become quite distressed if this has to change. Into adult life, you know, people can be very restricted and repetitive in their activities. So you tend to find more autism spectrum disorders, say, who may be in the train spotting community. That's not to say everyone is on the autism spectrum, but, you know, quite um, restricted, repetitive behaviours doing again and again and again, um, things like that. So a number of, uh, of, of celebrities and people now admit to, you know, having been diagnosed with autism spectrum again to to be useful to them and identify where their needs are and it may well be quite um quite supportive to them it may be quite quite good for them uh, um doing that and maybe something in their careers but it can be a problem as well sensitivities exist too such as sensitivities around light taste texture smells so people on the autism spectrum disorder may not be able to cope with crowded places mm -hmm. noisy places noisy restaurants smelly places like restaurants they may become quite distressed by those certain types of clothes certain types of clothing how it fits how it feels its color again may cause issues and 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 can cause difficulties for them Problem behaviour that can come, come out of that is where people have meltdowns and can't cope in those situations and then it can affect their mental health such as anxieties and affect their moods. So, you know, it, it's really important to identify that it is autism spectrum disorder and autism spectrum disorder conditions that are leading to that to being able to address those difficulties properly such as anxiety or behaviour problems like meltdowns. Yes, so it sounds like something obviously which is quite difficult for the carers and loved ones as well. Uh, I think understanding what's going on and why yeah. someone is reacting like this. Exactly. So this is the importance of psychoeducation. This is the importance of psychoeducation. And, you know, it, it's where things are imposed. So if you're imposing on a child who has a sensitivity to a school jumper, that they have to wear a school jumper, but it causes them significant difficulties around its touch and feel you know they're going to have a meltdown and have problems with that but you know you may have rules that impose that if you're imposing on somebody in a work environment that they have to work in a in an, a noisy crowded place with lots of light again they may that may significantly affect them more than others so 
it's those societal restrictions and difficulties that are going to now be imposed that cause problems. Whereas historically, you may well have been able to avoid that kind of thing and been able to, you know, not have that imposed on you. But, you know, society's rules and regulations mean that, you know, these things may be imposed on you, but you as an individual on the autism spectrum may find extreme discomfort and distress from those. There's no way of knowing if red means the same thing in your head as red means in my head when someone says red And how if we are travelling at almost the speed of light and we're holding a light That light would still travel away from us at the full speed of light Which seems right in a way but I'm trying to say I'm not sure but I wonder if inside my head I'm not just a bit different from some of my friends These answers that come into my mind unbidden These stories delivered to me fully written And when everyone shouts like they seem to like shouting The noise in my head is incredibly loud And I just wish they'd stop my dad and my mum And the telly and stories would stop for just once And I'm sorry I'm not quite explaining it right But this noise becomes anger and the anger is light And it's burning inside me would you jolly fade but today and the heat and the shouting and my heart is pounding and my eyes are burning and suddenly everything everything is quiet like silence but not really silent Just that still, sort of quiet Like the sound of a page being turned in a book Or a pause in a walk in the woods Quiet Like silence, but not really silent Just that nice kind of quiet Like the sound when you lie upside down in your bed Just the sound of your heart in your head Though the people around me, their mouths are still moving, the words they are forming cannot reach me anymore. And it is quiet, and I am warm. Like I've said Into the eye of the storm 
So my understanding of learning disability is that the IQ is below what would we consider quote unquote normal or which would not be an average intelligence. Is is there a number? Yes, yeah, so I think again, you know, I've said normal, and normal's the wrong word, isn't it? Normal is it's it's average intelligence. You know, every person is individual. Okay, now intelligence itself is what what we describe on on a bell curve, a normal distribution. You can imagine what what a bell looks like it, it's on a bell curve and some people are super intelligent some people have very low intelligence but the vast majority of people are in the middle of this uh, bell curve and that's done by a set of psychometric tests usually by a clinical psychologist educational psychologists that that put you within this bell curve and this bell curve can be changed for a number of reasons. It can be changed about, you know, how you grew up, where you grew up, uh, cultural factors, genetic factors. But that's how we class, predominantly class, um, intellectual disability, learning disability, about where you come on this bell curve. And this bell curve is very, is reflected throughout humans in the fact you know bell curve is the same for height so you know you follow a bell curve for for height as well how height's distributed uh, for people so there's a there's a wide range and and like you said the intelligence itself which is basically our ability to understand or carry through tasks in in a given or, or be able to rationalize certain situations and adapt to them I think the number is 70, 70 and below is when you go into the learning disability uh, spectrum. Yeah, so to formally in the diagnostic terms, we, we, we have this distribution of IQs and mm. on this bell curve, effectively, uh, what, what they have a, a number, which is called a full scale um, intelligence quotient. Um, and the number that, that's been cut off, the official number that's been cut off on this bell curve is, is 70. And then it's split into categories below this. Now, this is slightly changed in, in modern diagnostic terms because bell curves can shift. So different different cultures, different societies, bell curves can shift. So, so what, what they're now saying is around the second percentile. So the second percentile is out of 100, out of an average 100 people from that population, who is below in the, in the lowest two percentile. Playing devil's advocate here, why would it matter if someone has a lower intelligence, as in why is it important enough to have its own field of, of study? Unfortunately, if you have, uh, if you're on the the lower end of that bell curve, you are more susceptible to other psychiatric conditions. Now, the variety of reasons why you may be in that that lower um, end of that bell curve. It may be a hereditary factor. It may be genetic factors. Maybe factors that affected you in birth. You could be born premature. Something could have happened during the birth process. Those young people are unfortunately more susceptible to other conditions than doing that. And then they're also more vulnerable in the community because, you know, these young people are at the lower end of the intelligence quotient. Therefore, they're more vulnerable to um, exploitation, having difficulties, having mental health problems in the community. So those young people do require extra support in doing that. Also, 
schooling can can be an issue they can struggle in a school environment without additional support or in a mainstream school environment so um as much as possible you know they try try to support that and i can talk a little bit more about the school process if you want me to to, to explain a bit about that yeah please so w- within um the uk um we have something called special educational needs Special educational needs covers a broad variety of conditions, including the neurodevelopmental conditions. So not just um, not just autism spectrum disorder, not just learning disability, but a wide variety of of conditions. Now, each school should have a designated special educational needs coordinator who, who helps young people and children with educational difficulties. Currently, in the UK, around 12% of young people are said to have special educational needs. And this can be for a variety of factors, as you said. So this could be additional learning needs. This could be emotional needs. This could be for um, for um, emotional problems. Now, the biggest grouping within uh, this group of people is people on the autism spectrum disorder because you know over the years and i said since the 1980s people on the autism spectrum disorder have been highlighted as the biggest group requiring additional support within school the most vulnerable and the most needy of this group then can go on to have something called an educational health care plan so an educational healthcare plan then allows additional support to be put in by school. If you're on the special educational needs, the Senko and the class teachers assist you in class and put in additional support. If you have an educational healthcare plan, then you can receive extra support from the local authority and it can also allow you to access specialist schools. So there are a number of specialist schools that may help people with uh, behaviour disorders, may help people with autism spectrum disorders, may help people with learning disability. And I think, I think this year's uh, number of educational healthcare plans is about 3.7% of school-aged children um, uh, receive educational healthcare plans in the UK. This is what I'm talking about. These conditions are only important if you require the extra support and extra support needs to be put in to support you. So how does that pan out as in what are the outcomes once, once this support is given? How do you measure whether it is effective or whether it's improving quality of life or education? So educational healthcare plans, if you are do have a full educational healthcare plan, this then uh, can continue up to the age of 25. Okay, so you can get additional educational support up to the age of 25. 12% being on the special educational needs rate is a, is a, is a, is a big number. It's a big number of children, so for different needs going out, and it depends on what different needs you have. So it can mean, you know, you have additional support going into college. There'll be a special educational needs department going into college. You know, young people within that 12% are going to end up at university and are going to end up in university placements. So, you know, again, there is access to support from the pastoral care at universities and provisions being put in. And this could be a variety of things. So this could be reading difficulties. This could be dyslexia. This could be people on the autism spectrum disorder, you know, that then can get additional support throughout their 
educational lives to give them the best possible opportunities going forward. Additionally, you know, as we said, there can be young people who, who don't have verbal skills, who, who are really struggling, and their transition would then be into what provision they're going to get and what care they're going to get in adult life. And, and that generally that comes via the local authority through adult social care. I wanted to talk a little bit about what you mentioned, learning disability versus learning difficulty. Learning difficulties itself doesn't have a specific definition. As, as I've said, you know, on those, that, that bell curve, it's under the second centile, it's a 2% of the general population will meet that criteria for learning disability. So I said, you know, schools identify around 12% of young people with learning difficulties. So if you're on the special educational needs register within a school, you have learning difficulties. So that could just mean um, you have specific reading difficulties. That could be an emotional difficulty. That could be attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That could be a behavioural disorder. Um, so those young people would be classed as having learning difficulties rather than learning disability. And you see that there's a massive difference in numbers if you think. 12% to 2%, that, that's a big difference in numbers. But those people are those classed with learning, officially classed with learning difficulties that are getting additional support um, within the educational setting. So learning difficulty then does not necessarily have anything to do with intelligence. It, it is what it sounds like, that there is difficulty in learning new information. Exactly, exactly. So, so you know, you can have a specific difficulty about your reading, you know, what we call dyslexia, but that would be classed as a learning difficulty. But your intelligence, you know, your general intelligence could be, could be, you know, well within the normal range. You could have a specific difficulty with coordination, which we call, you know, developmental coordination disorder, which could affect your writing or, or, or your fine motor function but that then would would class you as having a learning difficulty but again your general intelligence could be you know within that that, that average range okay Hassan let's go to our next song Candy cane, but you'll never 
got a little kid now Watch me get big now Spell my name on the fridge now With all your alphabet toys You want the spelling bee now But are you smarter than me now? You're the prince of the playground Little alphabet boy part of the narrative that I grew up with, there's a lot of controversy, I would say misinformation about the causes of autism as well, uh, with his, whether it's genetic in terms of that if you have autism, your kids will have autism. There's some controversy around vaccines, specifically the measles vaccine as well. What do we know about what causes autism or what makes it more likely for someone to have autism? All the neurodevelopmental conditions that are talked about are highly hereditable. Okay, So what I mean by that is they can run in families and there is definitely a genetic component to them. So, you know, different statistics. And if you look at the statistics, I can't quote them today, but if you look at the statistics, there is a hereditable factor to them. We definitely know that. We know from historical literature and historical uh, work that these conditions have always existed. So they've existed before modern vaccines and, and, and you know, they've always been in society. If you go back and, and go into literature such as Charles Dickens or other writers, you know, I've read, read Tolstoy and things like that. You can tell people on that who would now be classed as being within the autism, what we would class as being in the, the autism spectrum. So, you know, literature gives us that snapshot and that insight into that so we know you know these conditions have always existed before the scientific process of of um of psychiatry has come to the fore in classifying them vaccines the vaccine debate i think was was late 90s early 2000s that there was this um there was a link made between certain vaccines and the growth in autism spectrum um, disorder diagnosis, particularly the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine. I, I mean, scientifically, this hasn't been proved. There isn't a significant link. If you look at different societies, you look where an um, MMR vaccine isn't used, there is no difference you know, with the prevalence and the increase in the number of diagnoses, whether MMR was there or was not there. Other factors that we clearly know are, play are, are problems with um, difficulties with prematurity, difficulties with um, birth problems, uh, you know, conditions that may affect you. We know that certain genetic conditions, you have an increased likelihood of, of having conditions such as autism spectrum disorder. There isn't a clear link between them. There's a link between them, but you can't do it on a straight line. This leads to this. It doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, genetics isn't up to that That point yet um, where it can make that clear link so we call it something that you know it's a genetic environmental factors that lead to the development of these uh, conditions a lot of times like we say that let's say diabetes or cancer or heart disease runs in families it doesn't mean if for example 
uh, unfortunately, your your dad has heart disease or had a heart attack, that you also will definitely have heart disease or heart attack. You're more likely you you might have to lead a healthier lifestyle, but it's not written in stone. It's not written in stone. Now, some genetic conditions, as I've said, that are highly hereditable, uh, that that geneticists can now pick up on, make it much more likely. So if there is, you know, and some young people on the autism spectrum will have genetic testing and these genetic conditions will be picked up. And it may well be that these are are very hereditable and then what we would what is recommended by the geneticist is genetic counseling about your risk factors of, of of having a child with autism spectrum disorder where autism spectrum disorder runs in families you know again it's a mixture of factors between genes and environment uh, and it's a little bit of understanding and preparation for that uh, about how that's managed and how that's managed with families. Say having an autism spectrum disorder doesn't then stop you from going on to university or, or doing other jobs. You know, diff- it's a spectrum. So, you know, that's got to be understood within that process. So we have just two tracks left in this episode and both of them will be artists who are on the autistic spectrum. The first is Gary Newman and this is Our Friends Electric.
I noticed when I was when I was working with with yourself that there seems to be an increase in cases and there's quite a workload for diagnosing individuals with autism. We have quite a big waiting list of people to be assessed. What can individuals who do feel that they or their child might have autism, how can they get help and what kind of help is available? Across the UK, it's very patchwork about how you get your um, assessment. Children and young people, uh, it's generally easier to get an assessment than it is in the adult population. Uh, And it depends which generally um, the assessments are carried out under the uh, National Health Service. So come under the medical sphere. Some areas may conduct them in the educational sphere, but generally it's the National Health Service. And diagnoses wise, again, that group of people has increased. So autism Young people on the autism spectrum have always been there, but we've not classified it in this way. So historically, when I worked with adults, you know, a very different language 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when young people were um, um, dealt with or managed. Uh, and, you know, I look at the uh, medical records now, and there's just, just a broad criteria of educational educationally subnormal and you could end up in a specialist school now again this is fairly broad so this could be people with learning disability this could be people with uh, being on the autism spectrum you know so when i i've seen this classification for people who are diagnosed with um, autism spectrum disorder who historically as children were just called educationally subnormal and now they're in their adult years So we have a much greater understanding. And why is that understanding important? It's important to be able to deliver the correct interventions, help and support uh, for families and for schools. Understanding is very useful for families. You you know, it's psychoeducation for families about understanding the differences in a young person, how to manage them, you know, and how to enable them to get the best out of their life. So that has changed. Now, this has led to the increasing requirement for diagnoses. So this has led to where children would just be classed in in these groups to the increasing requirement for diagnoses. However, as this increase for requirement for diagnoses has occurred, funding for services hasn't followed suit. So funding for services has not followed uh, in the same way. These conditions are lifelong, so the neurodevelopmental conditions are lifelong and and tend to affect people for the whole of their lives. So the the process in doing um, a diagnosis is is set out by something called the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, NICE, uh, which is is a governmental organisation that says that the diagnostic process should follow this. The diagnostic process should include a variety of professionals. So it's not just one professional who does it. It's not just information from uh, psychiatrists, the child psychiatrist, but it's got to be information from school, information from parent carer. It's got to be another professional. So nursing and occupational therapy, speech and language therapist to assist in that diagnostic process. So you need something called a multi-agency, multidisciplinary team to do that with some standardised tests to do it. So there's no blood test that says you can have autism. There's no quick 
checklist that says you can have autism it's part of this multi-agency multidisciplinary process to get a diagnosis so as you can imagine that, that that's quite difficult to coordinate quite a lot of funding uh, is required to do that so the funding going into it is not increased with the greater understanding and the requirement to that which has led to these waiting lists in different areas it's quite complicated how, how funding for, for health services um, is done across the UK, even though we have a national health service. It, it, it's commissioned in each area and, 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 you know, it tends to be around what resources are already there rather than creating resources to meet a need. So that's one of the factors that's led to this increase in waiting times and waiting lists. Then we've had another whammy, which is COVID, which has further increased that because a lot of these assessments were done face to face. A lot of these assessments are undertaken in school time. And all of this has been impacted by the COVID restrictions, which again has led to this increase in waiting lists. Our service, uh, uh, myself, we were involved, uh, particularly last year, around the use of telemedicine uh, in, in doing that. So online assessment and how to improve online assessments in autism spectrum disorder assessments. But again, this still takes time and a lot of, of resources to get up and going that leads to the length of these waiting lists. For someone to be diagnosed with autism, they have to have those symptoms or difficulties in communication across different settings. I, I know we assess at home, at school, and see what kind of social environment, like friends, etc., that they have as well. Yeah, um, um, as you said, we'll use some of the standardised tests. We'll look into other factors because you said these conditions often ex exist with a lot of other conditions, comorbidity, multimorbidity. So, you know, we have to be aware of that, you know, looking for any underlying genetic conditions, looking for other mental health conditions as part of that process. So where can someone who wants to know more about autism or seek support, are there any NGOs or any charity organizations they can link up with or even NHS sources? So within the NHS, um, you know, your first port of call would generally be either your school, uh, the school SENCO, Special Educational Needs Coordinator, should have an idea of the referral process and who can help um, make a referral then if not, your GP should be aware of the referral process and how a referral is done, or your paediatrician, if your child is under a paediatrician. So that's kind of NHS and education. Additionally, education-wise, on the local authority website, there will be a, a section on special educational needs. So if you want to find information about your local structures and how things are done, go onto the local authority website and there will be a section under special educational needs that again will direct you to support support organizations who can assist on that so again that's specific to each local area within the uk we have the national autistic society which is um, a big society that offers a lot of support and advice out there and give support and advice on um you know diagnoses after diagnoses what are the local support group 
you know, goes through all those kind of factors. And I can give you that website if you want. I'll look at it, which is www.autismautism.org.uk. So www.autism.org.uk. So that that is the recommended website. That's what we would share with parents and families for information pre-diagnosis, how to get a diagnosis, how to get support after a diagnosis. So we're nearly at the end of our time, Dr. Mockett. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show and taking your time out to share your knowledge with us. Thank you very much, Hassan. I hope it's been useful. Definitely. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's show and I thought it was I hope it was informative and fun. The full track list is available on the Melodic Distraction Radio website. We also have a nice back catalog. We're also on Spotify, so do check out our other episodes as well. Our final goodbye song will be Owl City Be Brave. of an empty house I slept on the floor like a vagrant I braved a Minnesota winter night and drove to a movie feeling lonely and as I thought my heart out by Silver screen, I was unaware that you were there in the dark. A silhouette was climbing up the stairs, and what I thought in the parking lot was like, I just want to know your name. I drove away. With not much to say But in my hand I held a paper bird And written on it were the words Be